Amen. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class today is sponsored by Liz Bennett, dedicated on behalf of Hashem and the good He does in our lives always, even when it is not yet fully revealed to us. As well, uh, the week of Cobra was sponsored by David E. Ash in honor of you and your substantial capacity to do good today and every day. And for the Rifuash Lema of Yaakov, Israel, Ben, Tamar, Malka. Now, we are in Parashat Pikudeh. And in Parashat Pikudeh, Pikudeh means these are the reckonings, these are the countings of the Mishkan. And one of the reasons why Moshe Rabbeinu gave an accounting of the Mishkan, we read something unbelievable. I'm going to read, this, I'm going to read you this, uh, this line here, ready? This is from the Midrash. When they finished the Mishkan, Moshe said to them, I'm going to make a reckoning with you. So much and so much went for this. So much and so much went for this. And why did he make with them this Cheshbon? Ela. Sheshama Moshe, Moshe heard Letzane Hador, the scoffers of the generation. He heard them speaking behind his back. Hayu Omrim, Hami Amram. How thick is the neck of Ben Amram of Moshe Rabenu? Look at how fat he got. And the guy would respond back to him. Adam The guy who was in charge of the department of the treasury of the Mishkan. You don't think he's going to become uh, suddenly and inexplicably rich? When Moshe heard this, Moshe said, I swear to you, Nigmar Mishkan, when the Mishkan is done, I will give you a Cheshbon, an accounting, and a reckoning. Havi, that's what it means. So I have an interesting question here. The Darash David asks a fantastic question. He says, why is it that Moshe felt, because he had these jokers, he felt he needs to answer to the scoffers, to these, uh, the backbenchers, to the guys making the jokes in the corner, that's the guy that, those are the people that Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu needs uh, to show and to respond to. Come on, why is that important? Imagine as an example, I uh, take a sip uh, of coffee on the recording. Could you imagine the recording goes out, the video goes out, someone says to me, Rabbi, Asur, I saw you drink on the recording, you didn't make a beracha. I think most people, they look at you, what would they say? He obviously made a beracha before he started the recording. Do you think I have an obligation to say on the video camera, guys, earlier, previously, on breakfast in the class, I made a beracha, that's what I have to say? I have to assume that there's going to be some guy out there that's going to judge me uh, in a non-favorable way? That's question number one. Question number two is that there's another time <clears throat> that we see that Moshe Rabbeinu was personally attacked. 
Moshe Rabbeinu, in the fight with Korach, Datan and Aviram, he answers back to them and he says, I never confiscated. I didn't take one donkey. I didn't, you know, get rich at all from anybody else. You see that Moshe Rabbeinu there though, he doesn't give a reckoning to Datan and Aviram. How come over here he feels a need to respond and over there he feels no need to respond and justify himself? And I think anyone who's listened to any of the classes that we give here before, they'll know that always the lessons that we're trying to take out of the Torah, the Torah is never speaking about what it's speaking about. It's speaking about us. It's teaching us lessons. So if we're learning that Moshe Rabbeinu one time responds and one time he doesn't respond, we're also learning how we should behave in these cases. I did not make a beracha earlier. Baruch atah Adonai. Elena melech ha'olam Okay, that was in case someone would say, Rabbi, you made a beracha earlier. Beracha levatala. Okay, fine. You always have those people. They're just looking to catch you. They're desperate to find. You tell a story, so it didn't happen on a Monday, it happened on a Tuesday. It's always the guy out there that that's, that's what brings him life is finding a mistake that the rabbi made. That's a good day. Okay. Now, why is it that sometimes we find that Moshe Rabbeinu responds, sometimes not? Why and how should we as well respond in our, in our eyes? Now, there's a beautiful pasuk. The pasuk writes, "Vihitem nikiim Sammy, "Vihitem nikiim elokim ve'adam." And we should be clean in the eyes of God and in the eyes of people. Yani, a person might say to themselves, "It doesn't matter how bad this looks. It doesn't matter how bad." You know, I come across in this situation. I know that it's right, and Hashem knows that it's right. Let's say as an example, you have a guy, <clears throat> Hazi, he has uh, kleptomania. The guy, he steals, you know, they say the definition of kleptomania is a person who can't help himself, so he helps himself, right? The Hazi, the guy, he, you know, he, he can't not steal. You have people, they have all the money in the world, <clears throat> and they're... Uh, they're stealing chapstick for 99 cents. Hazi, it's a condition. So imagine as a guy in the shul, kleptomaniac. I see him go up, and he takes money from the tzedakah box. Takes the money, puts it in his back pocket. Now imagine, <clears throat> to be clear, I am not. But imagine, I was a master thief. And the play Oliver was based on me. <laughs> okay? And as the guy's walking away, I have the opportunity to pickpocket the tzedakah money and put it back in tzedakah. So you can imagine, that sounds like a great idea, right? Because that way, I don't have that confrontation with the guy. You know, it doesn't have, I don't have to make him feel bad. Just take the Problem is, someone else in the synagogue sees you pickpocket a guy, take the money out of his pocket. They think you're a ganav. V'yitem nikiim ve'en v'adam. You have to be clean in the eyes of the people and in the eyes of God. This is such an important message. Why? Rabbeinu Yonah writes something unbelievable. Why does a person have this obligation? He says that if you do something that makes someone suspect you 
suspecting someone which is not true, that's Choshed Bikshirin. That's a person who is um, doubting, who is uh, thinking badly about someone who's actually kosher. That's a Avon. There's a halacha in the Torah, a mitzvah in the Torah that says, you're not allowed to cause someone else to do a sin. If I do something and I don't care about how it looks, and you judge me unfavorably, right? You suspected me wrongly. What did I just do? I caused you to do a sin. Even though the sin is, well, I would think it's your problem because you're suspecting me wrongly. But if I cause you to do that, that's Avon. Rabbeinu Yonah says, I have to make sure that you don't suspect me wrongly. Not only that, the Hatam Sofer writes that the idea of a Chilul Hashem, most of us think a Chilul Hashem is when we do the wrong thing. But if I'm doing the right thing, but it looks like the wrong thing, that's not Chilul Hashem, I did the right thing. But if another person doesn't know, says the Hatam Sofer, if you did the right thing, but it looked like the wrong thing, what's the halakha? Chilul Hashem. So suddenly we understand the side of these two arguments, why Moshe Rabbeinu felt the need to justify himself to a couple of scoffers, to the Letzaneh Hador. He had to respond to them and tell them, look, I'm going to show you exactly how I spent every penny. My friends, but when it comes to Datan and Aviram then, how come Moshe Rabbeinu doesn't follow the same prescription? How come for them, he doesn't answer them? How come for them, he doesn't give them a reckoning? My friends, there's another element to this, uh, to this procedure. Because a lot of times you might think that the best thing to do is, uh, is actually to respond and to clear your name and to show them that everything is correct. However, my friends, and this is important, sometimes when a person begins to justify themselves, the very act of justification itself brings or gives legitimacy to the complaints, gives legitimacy to the idea that the person is putting forth, look, you need to defend yourself, right? The famous line goes uh, about uh, she doth protest too much. You know, look at how much she's saying she didn't do it. She's saying she didn't do it. Yani, she did it. The fact that someone sometimes defends themselves, they justify with a response, indicates that it's worthy of a response. So how is someone supposed to know when it's worthwhile to, to demonstrate, to fight back, to explain yourself, to stand up and say, I just want to tell everybody that earlier, when I came in on Tisha B'Av, wearing those shoes, you should just know they're synthetic leather. When should you do that? And when do you not open your mouth? How do you make this judgment call? So my friends, I want to share uh, one answer that I think might be a good answer to this, to this point. You know, I want you to imagine for one second, obviously not in our community, obviously not people in our community or our synagogue, or, obviously not. Imagine you have a guy who's Mr. Black Hat. Or you have a guy who's Mr. White Hat. The rabbi of the other type stands up and says a Dvar Torah. 
This guy, Mr. Black Hat, or Mr. White Hat, looks at Rabbi White Hat, Rabbi Black Hat. What does he say? Eh. Does anyone take that guy seriously? No. Why? Because you're the guy that no matter what anyone from the other side does, pasul, taref, terrible. The same thing in political parties. The same thing with avid sports fans. Right? You can't see anything good about someone who's your avowed enemy, your avowed opposite. Right? You're partisan. Moshe Rabbeinu understands that when it comes to Datan Aviram, who every single chance they've had, they, had a, they pick a fight with Moshe Rabbeinu. Back in Egypt, Datan Aviram already started with him. With snitching on Moshe Rabbeinu to Paro about the Egyptian. Who was it that spoke to, to Paro? Datan Aviram. In the story with the man, when Moshe Rabbeinu says, don't collect the man on Shabbat, who goes out, places the man, tries to discredit Moshe Rabbeinu? Datan Aviram. Therefore, when it comes to the story of Korach, Moshe Rabbeinu understands, I don't need to defend myself to the people from Datan Aviram. Everybody knows they have it in for me. Everybody knows they hate me. Everybody knows they're enemy number one. So no one else is going to get swept up in their letzanut. My friends, but over here, it does not say that these people who were making these comments with Datan Aviram, it was just Letzane Hador, white label. Nobody knows who they are. They are just the scoffers. They're just the backbenchers, the people talking smack. Doesn't say who they are. Nobody knows that they have anything to do with Moshe. Nobody knows that they have a bone to pick. So Moshe Rabbeinu was worried that even though this guy is not a serious person, he's a Letz, but the biggest challenge of Letzanut of making a joke out of something or out of someone is that it spreads from person to person to person. So therefore Moshe Rabbeinu said, I have to stop this in its tracks. So much so that I need to give an entire reckoning. And I always found it so interesting because this week's parasha, what is it really about, the parasha of Pekudeh? It's about the building of the vessels and the putting together of the materials that were required for the Mishkan. So there's other names that you couldn't name the parasha. Instead of calling in the parasha construction, we call it counting. To illustrate that the Torah felt that Moshe's counting and reckoning of the Mishkan was supremely important. To get it exactly right, how much each dime, each nickel, each penny to show that it was accounted for. Why was that so important? It's not enough to know that in my books, people say, I don't care what you think. Hashem knows. Hashem knows. That's not how it works. You know who else needs to know? Everybody else. Why? I always point this out. Our purpose in this world is to spread the light of Torah is to spread the light of good. When Am Yisrael, both nationally and individually, are upholding the highest moral principles, then others, both within the nation and outside, can learn from us. When a person does the wrong thing, even though it's not the wrong thing in actual fact, but it seems that way, 
People look at what they did and what do they say? The wrong thing. I, unfortunately, have lots of issues with my stomach. Um, in, in the doctor's terms, they call it IBS. Irritable bowel syndrome, which I've discovered over the years, literally means I have no idea what's wrong with you. So I'm just going to call it IBS. What is it to do? Nothing. That will be $400. What are you talking about? I always love this. And once I actually said this to the doctor, I was like, I came to you and I told you my stomach is hurting. You looked at me and using all of your deductive powers, all of your academic understanding of the subject, all of your uh, you know, wisdom in the medical field, you basically told me your stomach is hurting. Irritable bowel syndrome is the same as my stomach is hurting. You just put the word syndrome in there. Thank you very much. And there's nothing to do. So you are, say it with me, useless. <laughs> no, say it with me. Useless. Nice feeling, right? Useless. IBS. So there's a lot of times in the morning when I don't put my tefillin on. Because one of the most important mitzvot of the tefillin is the respect that we have for the tefillin. And the halakha says that if a person can't keep their body clean 100%, or if they have a stomach, it's rumbling, a person has, you know, uh, uh, gas or wind, asur, you're not allowed to put it on. You're not doing a mitzvah by putting it on, you're doing a sin. You're not allowed to. In fact, if a person feels that they, that they can't control their stomach, they have to take their tefillin off in the middle of praying. I don't know if people know the halakha. Numerous times in the halakha of the day, I've shared that this is the case. Not because I feel that you are privy as the community to my gastroenterological reality. Not that I feel I need to share that with you. Because like they say, sometimes TMI, it's too much information. But if you see me without my tefillin on, you're looking at the rabbi, you might learn from my behavior. You might think it's not important to me. You don't know the reason. Now, if the synagogue was filled with people who hate me, the synagogue was filled with people who try to catch every mistake, if that's all that was here, if I lived, if I was a rabbi of a community of Datan Avirams, first of all, I would quit my job. But if I was a rabbi of such a community, then there's no need to justify it. Because you know what? You're not learning from me anyway. The only thing you're trying to find is not the good, it's the bad. So there's no point in justifying. My friends, this idea, to me, it shares, it's, it sends a very powerful message. That when a person uh, comports themselves, when a person behaves in the office, when a person acts a certain way in the boardroom, when a person acts a certain way at the table, you know, a lot of times you're not acting in the right way, even though you're justified. I remember a long time ago, I was in London and I, I had a terrible, terrible, terrible injury to my foot. I was in so much incredible pain, I almost felt like I was gonna black out. I didn't know what to do, so I, uh, I called the hospital, I asked them to direct me to where I should go. They told me which hospital to go to. 
And I went to the hospital. I'm waiting ages and ages and ages online. Finally, it comes my turn. They call my name. I hobble to the counter. I'm literally inside. I'm screaming with pain, trying to control uh, myself. I felt like I was gonna, like I was gonna black out from the pain. I get to the desk, and I asked the lady. I said, "Please, you know." She says, oh, "I'm really sorry, sir." She said, "That department that would take a look at your foot, it's closing. Not even it closed. It's closing at five. What time is it now?" 4.53 or whatever. I'm so sorry, we're not going to be able to see you today. I was like, I was here. I was waiting. It took ages. Right? Not only that, I called, you told me where to go. Where to go. I came here. Anyway, she's like, I'm sorry, sir. Uh, it's 4.52. I was like, and what time did you close? She said, 5 o'clock. I said, correct. She says, no, sir. You know, I, we don't know. The point might take longer. We don't want the staff to wait. I said, what about the patients? <laughs> I said, look at me. I'm suffering. Anyway, I was very upset. I was very upset. Anyway, I walk out. I walk out, and I, I was desperate for some help. I didn't know what to, what to do, where to go. So I wrote on social media, I wrote, you know, NHS, National Health Service, you get what you pay for. Right? Look, you have a nationalized health service. You're not going through a private insurance like you're doing, you know, in America. They, you know, they could do, they could treat you this way. And there's nothing you could do. They could tell you to go somewhere, knowing the time, not knowing that they close, you know, as soon as, et cetera, et cetera. I was so upset and I was, again... I was reacting out, acting out of pain. I get a message from someone. And this, by the way, is a great way of understanding if someone's trying to show you up or someone's trying to help you up. Is the message you receive public or private? I get a private message from a student of mine who had gone to study in yeshiva. And he sends me a message, he says, Rabbi, I know that you're writing this, you're upset, you're in pain, etc., etc. He says, but I plan on studying medicine. He said, I just want you to know, a lot of times, the doctors and the nurses, they're trying their hardest to be able to deal with the system, but the system is not actually built properly for the doctors and the nurses. They're making them work overtime on the shifts, they're killing them, you know, to, for no pay, etc., 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 that's just how it works here. And the government, you know, they, they dictate exactly the times and they dictate when they cut it off to be able to save money. So when it sounds like you're complaining, you're complaining about the system, but you're angry at the lady, at the, at the, the service workers. At the, it's not their fault. People who were in the medical field might resent the fact that it seems like you're upset and you're dumping on them when it's not their fault. And you're a rabbi and people look up to you. I said, yeah, thank you very much. You're absolutely correct. Delete. You're absolutely correct. See, you don't think always about all, all the ways something could be perceived because in almost every situation, we're looking at the situation through our own perspective. But sometimes it takes a friend, a student, someone that actually cares about you, that has your best interests in mind to point out and say, 
I know that this is how you think it looks, but that's not how it looks to other people. And this comes across not so good, not so nice, not so appropriate. A waiter comes, brings your food, right? You tell her the steak is, I ordered medium rare. It's well done. Everybody knows well done steak. It'll be thrown right in the garbage. Or they should make shoes out of it. Either way. It's leather. What are you talking about? You can't chew it. It's, right? Send it back. I always thought how ironic it is that a well done steak should be called well done. It should be called not well done. <laughs> I order medium rare. They come back. They, they, she comes back 10 minutes later with another steak. How is it done? Well done. What are you doing? I asked. Comes back a third time. Imagine. This didn't happen. I'm just saying. Again, well done. You tell her three times I asked you. Three times I asked you. Can I ask you a question? Did the waitress cook the steak? You know who has the worst job in the history of the world? Airline. Not just any airline people. The people who man the desks at the luggage carousels. You know when you go pick up your baggage? And then you go and you, because your baggage didn't arrive? And you go, and every, I've never seen a time when someone's like, Cheerio, how you doing today? You know, <laughs> can I get you a coffee? Never. Everyone's yelling and pointing and screaming. You gotta pay, you kind of thing is this. They have nothing to do with this. Nothing. They come to work every day only to hear earfuls of your problems. Right? Worst job in the world. Don't fly commercial. <laughs> <laughs> Sammy, Sammy. Sammy, here's the issue. If I fly private, then I can't afford luggage. So anyway. <laughs> My point, Rabotai, is most often the correct way to judge is to ask yourself, how does this look through the eyes of another? How does it look in the eyes of my children? Because they're watching. And you know what? They can't see what you saw before. They can't see the ideas in your mind. They can't see the emotions. What do the people see? All people see is what they see with their eyes. So sometimes it's imperative to be able to ask ourselves, you know what, this is the right thing. It's correct as far as what I'm thinking, feeling. But how does it seem to everybody else? And that lesson was so important that the Torah chose to name this parasha Pikudeh, the accountings of the Mishkan. Baruch Adonai Deolam.